over? What are you rejoicing over? Well, um, Luke chapter 10, uh, we have seen these 72 men gone out. We've been looking at these men over a period of weeks. They've gone out um, to, um, to do what Christ has told them to do. He's told them to go out and to, um, to preach and to speak about the kingdom of God and also to heal the sick. And so, um, as we look at the, um, the first heading, rejoicing over the enemy, Jesus told these men to go out and heal the sick. But when they came back, they had something else that was going on. And they, they came back and the Bible said the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were rejoicing over the enemy. They were rejoicing over the fact that demons were submitting to the name of Christ. So the 72 returned with joy. And I want to stop right there because, you know, there's great joy in serving Christ. You know that. There's great joy in serving Christ. You know, I used to, I've met a man who said that um, he, he loved going to work. He woke up on Monday morning, just couldn't wait for work. He had joy when he went to work. One guy said to me, you know what, my work has become my hobby, he said. You might think he's quite mad, don't you? How can you wake up on Monday morning and say, great, it's Monday, time to go back to work. But this guy did. He was full of joy when he went to work every Monday morning. That might sound strange, but you know what? There's joy in serving Christ. And it might be hard, thank you, brother, sister, for saying that. It might be hard to believe that because sometimes getting people to serve Christ is like pulling teeth. You know, nobody really wants to do it. Nobody really wants to, you know, to, to, to go to a, a brother, to go to a sister and say, you know what, I want to pray for you. Or, 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 or greet you in the name of Christ and, and to ask in detail, how is your life? How is your family? How is your children? I want to pray. Let's just pray now. That is joy in serving the Lord. And it seems to me that it's very difficult to get Christians to, to feel that joy in serving the Lord. I remember when Kim and myself, we were youngsters, we were teenagers, and we went to the same school together, that's where we met, and we began to serve in the Christian Union at school. And what we did, we began to get people to, to meet together for um, Bible studies and prayer. And I remember when we were walking down the corridors, we saw a number of students praying together with other students. It was great. You know, we were filled with joy. We were only teenagers at the time, but we were filled with joy because God was using us in our school just to talk to other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was great. And it was even more greater. It was even greater when we, when we saw people becoming Christians. They became born-again believers. And the Bible tells me, I tell you the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, 
over one person that turns to Christ. There's more rejoicing in heaven. And if we realize that, that there's so much joy in heaven, we ourselves would be full of joy in serving. In serving Christ. Well, these men came back. And the first thing, the first thing that day that Jesus noticed about them was they were full of joy. They were full of joy. In fact, there's a lot of joy in this particular chapter. Because not only they were full of joy, but we read later on that Jesus was full of joy as well. But here we find these men are full of joy. You know, I was just thinking about, someone told me this in the week. When the, the Bible says heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Whatever heaven is doing, I don't know what's going on in heaven at the moment. There's praise and worship going on to, to God. I know that is happening in heaven. But the Bible says when one person gets saved, heaven stops. Hallelujah. And notice and recognize that someone is born again. That's amazing when you just think the whole of heaven stops and, recon- and rejoices and recognizes that someone has become a born-again believer. If we realize that ourselves, I think we'd be more encouraged to open our mouths and to speak something about Christ at, in times of difficulty. Well, these men came back and they were just full of joy. But they were filled with joy because demons, we read, submitted to them. And that's in, entirely that's in line with Jesus' ministry. The very fact that demons submitted to them is in line with what happened when Jesus ministered. I mean, Jesus walked into a synagogue and there was a man in that synagogue. We don't know how long he's been there. He might have been there every Sabbath, but he was there in the synagogue. But when Jesus walks in, we read that the man had a demon that manifested itself and cried out, and Jesus had to rebuke that demon, and the demon submitted to the, to, the, to the name and to the voice of Jesus Christ. So it's not surprising that these men go out, and they had the same authority, and they saw these wonderful things happening. Now, Jesus replies to them, and he gives them... And he says two things. First of all, he gives them a history lesson. So the first thing he says, he gives them a history lesson. And he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He gives them a history lesson. He looks back and he says, there was a time when Lucifer was in heaven. There was a time where he was right there in the presence of the holy ones. And Jesus said, and I saw a time, I saw a moment, I witnessed a time when he was flung out from heaven like lightning. And that corresponds, it corresponds very well with what we read in Isaiah. Because what we read in Isaiah is these words. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid 
Lo, the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in throne on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Jesus says, I was there. I was the one on the throne. And I saw Lucifer. I saw Satan cast out because of his pride. History lesson complete. Jesus now moves from history lesson to what's going on in their day. And he turns around and he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. These men were given the authority. They were given the power by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into Satan's kingdom and to tread down every filthy spirit, scorpions, snakes, to tread down every power of the enemy. They were given authority by Christ to push back Satan's kingdom, to push back Satan's advancement. Every demonic head that was being shown, they were able to tread it down underfoot. He gave them that authority. That is the power that Christ gave these men. And the same power resides in the church today. The same power resides within the church today. But I believe that the battleground, Satan's battleground has changed. The battleground has changed. Satan's maneuvering has changed. You will never find, you go out in our society today, you'll never really find people demon-possessed. You don't find that very often around these parts. You never walk around, I'm sure it happens here and there. You don't really see it very often. Does not mean that Satan is not active. He may have changed the way he does things. It does not mean that Satan is not active just because we don't see demons popping out of people left, right and centre. Does not mean that he's not active. I believe that Satan is more active today than we've ever had. Let me just think these thoughts through with me as I, as I speak. You know, I don't want to just to preach to you. I want you to think as well. I was just going through the news, even this week. And the amount of times I've recognized Satan's work, it's unbelievable. Over in Norway in 2011, a guy called Brevik, he went on a rampage. He killed 77 people in Norway. You know, I missed that story. It was in the news just this week. 
And as I was going through the news, it gave a profile of every single, or of a picture of every single person this man killed. 77 people were murdered by this man, and most of them were teenagers. Just looking at their faces, young faces, page after page of young faces that was murdered by this man. I remember just looking at the Sandy Hook massacre in 2012. 27 people killed, 26 of them children that was killed during that slaughter. Only a few weeks ago, over in America, you know the church murders there. Nine innocent Christian people meeting in a prayer meeting on a Wednesday, Thursday night were gunned down. Nine of them dead. And we all have been shocked by the 38 people killed in Tunisia. 30 of them British, but 38 people murdered on holiday. Where's all that come from? Well, when I look at the word of God, this is what I see. Jesus is speaking. He says this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here Jesus is saying, you see the devil? He was a murderer from the beginning. And when I look at our society, I see Satan working. I see Satan in the infrastructure, in the fabric, in the center of our society. Because we're looking, even a few years, and we've seen so many people being killed. Not only is we see Satan doing a work, we see Satan working in the laws that are being passed in our land. The laws that are being passed. You know, apparently there's a gay pride march going on in Chelmsford very shortly. I know a family used to worship here. Mum, dad, three children used to worship here. Are strong supporters. They go down to every gay march, whether it's in London, whether it's in, in Brighton. They go down because they are strong supporters. And they used to worship under the, and hear the sound of the preaching of God's word. I spoke to a guy in the gym. And the guy in the gym said to me, you know what, I don't really care what they do. They can do what they want as long as it doesn't affect me and my family. Many people are saying that. Many people are saying, well, you know what, I can't say that I, I'm against these whole laws that have been made um, regarding homosexuality. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep my peace. I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to quite agree with it silently. But what you don't realize is that the law making of this country is under the influence of Satan himself. He is involved in the law making. It's not what God says anymore, it's what man is saying. And you may say, I have my opinions, you know, my opinions is my opinions are let them do what they want to do. But you know what? Your opinions don't count. And my opinions do not count. It's what God says that counts.
That's what it is. This is the measure. It has always been the measuring line. I don't know where people get off trying to change the, the, the line and say we can, we, can, we can rub it out. It's not blurred. It's very clear in God's word. But what's happening is that Satan is involved in the fabric of our society. So we've seen murders being, murders being committed that is terrible, but we've also seen laws being passed. And I want to tell you this, in the next 12 months, there are going to be even worse laws being passed. You think these laws are bad? You wait to see what's going to come down the line. There's going to be worse things. That's against the word of God. But not only do I find that Satan is involved in those areas, I was in Brentwood last night, and Brentwood was a, was a home of a man who made 300 million pounds in timeshare fraud. This guy was selling property and homes that he had no right to sell, and he made over 300 million pounds for doing it. <laughs> called it fraud but I think the Bible calls it lying I think the word of God says something like uh, he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth for there's no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language you know we have lies going on from MPs lying about their expenses right down to the man on the street lying to get money I walk into Tesco's car park and there's a guy there asking me for one pound and the reason why he wants money, he says, you know, I'm stranded and I need to get home. Could you give me a pound so I can get back? Every Saturday he's stranded in, in, in Romford. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. <laughs> Every Saturday. Lying from the top right down to the bottom. Well, why? Because our society has, it's now, Satan has become so involved in it now. He is so much part and parcel of the society. But Jesus says, I give you authority, he says to his church. I give you authority to trample under foot, snake and scorpion, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. How? By living, let me tell you this, by living differently, and by living under the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how there's going to be victory in our society and in our day. By living differently, by living not as the world lives, not agreeing with what the world agrees with, but by living differently and by living under the power and with the power of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Look what the Word of God says. But God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Listen to that. God doesn't call us to be like the world who are lying and, and cheating and stealing and, and, and doing all crazy manner of things in sexual relationships. He hasn't called us like that, no. But he's called you to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject... Man, but God, the very God who gives. Hear me on this. He wants to give the Holy Spirit. 
He's not withholding him and saying, I'm keeping the Holy Spirit to myself. No, he wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Well, why? Because when you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, living within you, being filled with you, you're able to come against the flow, the filthy, polluted flow of our society. During the London riots, a young woman was caught on CCTV. She was caught going into a shop and taking the TV and, and running out. She was brought before the judge, and the judge said to her, I'm looking at your, your history. You have no rap sheet. You have no record of a parking ticket. You have no, no criminal offences to your name. What made you go into that shop and steal that TV? And she said, everyone was doing it. The shop window was smashed and everybody was walking in there and taking out televisions and radios, other things. I just thought I'll go in and help myself. Everyone was doing it, so I thought I would do it too. And that is what many people are saying hear me, today in our society. That's why there's so many empty chairs in our churches, not only in this one, but in churches around the country. Everyone is getting on the bandwagon of going the world's way. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's agreeing with politicians. Everyone is agreeing with lawmakers. Everyone is agreeing with violent acts, whether they're Islamic State or not. Everyone's agreeing. So therefore, let me get on the bandwagon and agree with everyone else. But I tell you, one day you will stand before a judge and he will say, well, why? Why have you done this? He's calling his church to not to live as the world lives, but to live differently. To live holy lives. To live lives that are governed and ruled by the spirit of the living God. That is the life that God is seeking you and I to live. You say to me, well, how can I get the Holy Spirit? You need to cry out for the spirit of God to come upon you. You need to cry out, oh God, I'm barren, I'm empty, I'm I'm not filled. But Lord, if you fill me with your spirit, your living wonderful, working, powerful spirit, if he comes in me and makes me different, makes me holy, then I can live a life where I see Satan being trampled under my feet. Look what the Bible says about Hebrews, in Hebrews. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Listen to the next words. Without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Without I love this verse because it tells you without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But also it says, make sure you don't miss the grace of God. It's God's grace that's going to make you holy. It's not your work. It's not your efforts. 
It's not you trying to be a better man, a better woman. No, it's you relying totally upon the grace of God and saying, oh God Almighty, I know that I'm weak. I know that I'm a failure. I know that I fall short so often, but Lord, I long to be holy. I long to be like you. Fill me with your grace. Work in me, oh God. Draw near to me, even though I don't deserve you to draw near, but draw near anyway and touch my life. See to it that no one, for sure, no one misses the grace of God. These men, these 72 men, they came back rejoicing. They were rejoicing. They were full of joy, serving the Lord. There was wonderful things. People were getting healed. Demons were submitting. They were tremendously joyful. But you know what? We too can be joyful. We live in dark days. Days when we see so much going against the word of God. But we do not have to despair. We can still live Differently, we can still be filled with the Spirit of God and see the enemy's plans for our own lives and for our families being trampled underfoot by the grace of God. Jesus also says here, nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. We will come on to that in a few moments. Rejoicing over the enemy. The second thing I want to say is rejoicing over your name. Anyone reading this passage, Jesus was saying to these men, however, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice. Hold on, before that, sorry. Um, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, Jesus says. But you will have to say to me, but hold on. Hold on, preacher. You say, Jesus said, nothing will harm you. Oh, didn't these men, these disciples, didn't they get killed at some point? Didn't some of these men get martyred? Didn't they get crucified? Didn't they get, get, get beheaded? We know that James got beheaded. We know that Others died as believers. What do you mean? Nothing will harm you. Indeed, Jesus turns around and says in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, he says this, speaking about the disciples. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Uh, You know what? I hate reading that sometimes because it's coming nearer. It's okay when everybody was filled in the church and everyone was loving one another and people were getting on and brothers and sisters were loving and praying for one another, but we sense that this is getting too close. People are being persecuted. Christians are being put to death. Nations, whole nations are pointing to Christians. They, They are the worst people on the face of the earth because they don't agree with the laws that are being passed. These Christians and even in the church it says many will turn away 
that saddens my heart because maybe even you here this morning, maybe you might be among the number that will turn away from the faith. I don't know. But it saddens my heart to read the words of Jesus. He even says that they will hate each other. Exactly the opposite to what he says his church should do, to love one another. And so you say to me, how can Jesus then say, you know, nothing will harm you when he says that you will be handed over, you'll be persecuted? Well, that's why Jesus then mentions the next verse, because the next verse is so important. He says, nothing will harm you, but then he says something else. He says this, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, it's wonderful to have victory over evil spirits, but let that not be the reason why you're rejoicing. Let not that be the reason why you are filled with joy because you're having victory over Satan in your life. There's things in your life, you're standing on the word of God and you're, 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 you're coming against any wicked or evil thing in your life and you're saying victory. Let that not be the reason why you rejoice. But he says you've got to rejoice for something else. Where is your name written? I had to go to court the other day because my brother was in court. And I couldn't find him. He was somewhere in court somewhere, so I had to go around and I had to look for his name on the list of the defendants or people appearing in court number one, court number... And I said to myself, you know what, I'm so glad that my name's not written on there. You know, I don't want my name to be appearing in court number one. Your name can be written in the wrong places. You don't want your name to be written in the wrong places. Kim and I went to a wedding in, in France, me and the family as well. We went to a wedding in France. This was a very, very huge wedding. I was speaking at the wedding. I was marrying these, this, this couple. I was invited over there, and they spent money on this wedding. I mean, the, 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 the place, the reception was in a castle. And, um, but when we went there, you know, we realized that our names were written on the guest list. We were there, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Sandy. We could sit down on the table and, and join the banquet. We could be a part because our name was written there. It's tremendous to have your name written in the right place. Let me ask you this question. Where is your name written? Where is your name written? Because Jesus says, do not rejoice over demons submitting to you, because that might be here or there, that might happen, it may not happen. But one thing for sure, you are going to be persecuted and you are going to one day die. Whether you're going to die from a persecutor or die a natural death like John did on the island of Patmos, you are going to die. And so it does not matter really what happens so much in the victory against Satan on earth. There's something else that you need to rejoice over. You need to rejoice that your name is written in glory. There's a funny joke that I just came in my mind about a preacher preaching about something similar. 
And you've got to be very careful when you're using hand gestures. Because he's preaching, and this is a song that he was preaching and, and saying. And, and as he was saying, he goes, when the roll, when the roll is conduct yonder, it's an old hymn. And he says, when the roll is called up yonder, he says, I'll be there. You don't get that. When the road is called up yonder, you don't want to be there. You want to be, uh, your name needs to be written in glory. And I like what Isaiah said. Look at this wonderful verse. This is a verse that you should learn. You learn this verse. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See. I have written your name on the palms of my hand. What what does that really mean? It means this. Whatever happens to you, my dear friends, whatever happens to you on this earth, good things or bad things, things of joy, things of sorrow, whatever happens to you and your body, you do not need to fear. Because Jesus says, God says, I had made sure that I can remember you all the time. A mother cannot forget her child nursing at the breast. But even if it was possible, and I'm telling you, it is possible, for a mother to leave their child on the beach or a mother to leave their child somewhere and to forget the child, it is possible. But Jesus says, I will never forget you. You will always be before me. Your name is written. And your soul will live forever. You are a soul in a body. That's what you are. You are a soul in a body. And don't you look after your body and go to gyms and and, and put hairspray on and and all the manner of stuff to look after the outward shell. Don't you do all of that stuff. That's all good. Your body is decaying and your body is going to decay and die. But your soul is going to live forever. And the Bible says, where is it going to live forever? But God says, I tell you now, for those who love me, I have written your name upon the palms of my hands. That is something to rejoice about. That is something to say, praise be to God. Hallelujah. I am sealed. In fact, Paul picks it up when he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Shall any of these things separate me from the love of Christ, he says. Think of it. All these things are coming upon the world. All these things are coming upon the church. All these things are coming upon Christians. But nothing, he says, shall separate us from the love of Christ. In fact, Paul goes on and he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, he covers everything, will be able to separate us. From the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. That is 
what you need to rejoice over. You need to leave this church saying, oh, praise be to God. I've got victory over demons. Praise be to God. But also, more than that, my name is right there. Because I have turned from sin. I've repented. I've turned away from my old life. And I've put my sights upon the one that's died upon the cross on Calvary. I put my faith in him. And not only am I putting my faith in him, I'm going to live differently to his glory. Thank you, Grant, for praying that prayer. I'm going to live differently from his glory. I want my family, I want my friends, I want people to look at me and say, you know what, you're not like the world. You're not joining what the world is doing. You're different. Well, why? Because the Holy Spirit has given me strength and power to live a bit differently. To speak a little bit differently, to think a little bit differently, to act a little bit differently. I'm trampling under my foot every plan and every purpose that Satan has for my life. Because I'm living under the power of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Let's pray.